0: filled with his praises one day when sin was as black as could be jesus came forth to be born Yeah.
1: All right, everybody, good to see you. Hey, if we haven't seen you for a while, we're glad you're back. See some familiar faces we haven't seen for a minute. Uh, and if you're new, special welcome to you. And we're going to get going now. So if you'd like to stand and worship with us, Jesus be big.
2: to his wrist on Holy Week. We're going to sing a song with the the words that they were screaming out back then. Praise is rising, eyes are turning to you, we turn to you. to face the day. praise you so much for for this day, for this week, for Easter for what it means for us we celebrate in that we just pray for today as we hear your word that our ears, hearts are open to it and we just uh, we submit and learn how to take one more step closer to you God so we pray for Leonard and just uh,
3: pray for all of us to hear you
2: Amen Baby, okay, seated kids you can uh, go on out with Matt
3: Oh, wow, as soon as I came up here. (laughs) How's that? Brian worked so hard. Okay, so (laughs) how are we doing here? All right, so when I go here, it's gone. There it is, it's gone out of here. Like, like a demon, we just cast it out, right? You got, if you don't know what we're talking about, we've been wrestling with the sound for quite a long time. We actually had a sound technician come in from uh, Hubbard and just dial everything in today. And I was in my office, and Brian said, Leonard, I need you to come down here. I need you to witness something. And he played the sound, and we did this, and everything worked great. And he said, it's working great, right? And I said, yes, it's working great. Fingers crossed. And then I get up here, and it's... (laughs) So um, we're we're just not going to allow that anymore. Uh, Hopefully it will be clear. Does it sound better? Can you tell? if the sound is better or not i know that it's kind of relative to our hearing capacities but at the end of the day uh we have really good sound equipment here and we're dialing it in and really it's up to the lord to take the message that is being signaled through the sound and enable our spirits hopefully uh to be tuned to his voice and uh, just glad to see everybody here today it's nice to have a good crowd of people coming back to church. And I know that uh, there's just a lot of things that God's been doing in our lives, Uh, online as well, welcome guys, glad to have you with us. And as we're just thinking about what God is doing, I know many of you, well first of all, I gotta do one thing, did I dismiss the kids already? They're gone, (laughs) okay, good, thanks, you guys did it for me. All right, just making sure I don't forget anything. we're gonna. Uh, well, first of all, here's what I want to do. I am Macy Austin today. We had some, a uh, few glitches. I I know I'm not as as attractive as Macy is, but uh, you're stuck with with me. Uh, so I do have a few announcements that I want to share. Uh, first of all, today at four o'clock to six o'clock, we're gonna be doing a prayer walk uh, here at church. And it's just something different that we're going to try to do. And, the, and Matt and the kids uh, have put together basically stations for prayer. And if you have been going through the Power Habits book, then you're in the habit of praying, right? So this shouldn't be too hard for you. Um, so there is a there is no sign-up or cost. So you just show up uh, and we'll social distance, of course. Uh, but we want to encourage you guys to be praying as uh We've habituated ourselves through the the, uh, the power habits of Jesus. Second thing on Friday, instead of doing a Monday Thursday, we decided we would do a Friday a Good Friday service and change it up a little bit and focus on that particular aspect of Holy Week. And uh, it really will be a good time of reflection as well as just uh, a, a a time of of. Really, meditation on what happened to Jesus on the cross for our benefit, and then uh, the last thing, of course, uh, we're going to try to gather. Well, we are not going to try. We are. We are going to gather in the fellowship hall uh, after uh, our services for a brunch, uh, but um, uh, and we want to invite everybody there um, just just to make sure. Uh, we need to create a. We do need reservations, though, right, Brittany? Okay, just need a general idea. Okay, so yeah, if you don't RSVB, it's, it's okay, but we do need a little bit of a number so that we don't overwhelm uh, Josh Lulai and uh, his, his team of, uh, of, uh, of chefs, celebrity chefs. Uh, so if that doesn't incentivize it, I don't know what will. Uh, here's the last thing uh, about 40 days ago ish, a little bit longer than that, we kicked off our power habits. Uh, Lent study, and I know many of you guys have gone through this, and I've gotten a lot of positive feedback on the effect that it's had on, on just your journey, going through the five habits that Jesus um, very, very typically patterned in the storyline of the Gospels, uh, the habit of being in community, the habit of being engaged with Scripture, the habit of being in prayer, uh, the habit of, do you remember the, the next one? Oh, come on. Okay. Retreating from, thank you, Susie. Points for Susie. She's first in line for breakfast on Easter. Um, So then the last habit, of course, is committed to church. And it's good to see people committed to church for sure. Uh, So. If you've made it through the power habits or you are about to make it through the power habits, and even if you haven't done the power habits and you're like, hey, you know what? I would like to do that. I would say, do it. We'll get you some more copies. Every one that Brittany printed up, it disappeared, but we will get you one. So if you are any one of those three categories of people, give yourself a round of applause because I think that as we've taken the substance of the life of Jesus and tuned into those habits, I got to think those are the things that we've needed to rekindle our walk with the Lord because let's face it, the pandemic has definitely rearranged all the furniture of our lives, our routines, our habits and this has just been our way of helping you guys get back in tune with the Lord again. Um, so I'm so grateful for the participation and the willingness. Um, so those are kind of some housekeeping things that we uh, wanted to uh, engage you with. And, of course, we're going through a series on the book of Luke that I, I've just found not only fascinating but so helpful in my, in my role. And I know, I know uh, Rich has been doing an awesome job teaching it after uh, the service, and people have come in there, and and, uh, it's been really good. Um, So looking forward to what we're going to take a peek at today, but before I go there, I just want to open up uh, by inviting the Lord into this part of our service. Would you bow with me? Our Father, as we gather before your throne, we are committed to those things that we have been taught that it have been handed down to us from generation to generation, from country to country and place to place, and ultimately from the apostles who received it from you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for this blessed tradition of the substance of your word and how it changes us into the people that you have called us to be a new humanity, a new community. And Lord, as we've taken a very adverse set of months and circumstances, and we've asked the question, what, Lord, are you doing in the midst of all of the difficulties that have been handed out to us? We know, Father, that you don't waste opportunities in adversity, but rather you have a way of working them together for good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. And we would like to just believe that we are called in that way and trust that whatever is being orchestrated in the background by your hand, we want to be in tune with that because we know that you are using this as a way of showing your mercy and your grace and your presence despite all of the negativity that the The world is signaling to us. We are, of all people, most hopeful because of what has happened on Holy Week and how it expands out into time and space to be delivered into our hands for our benefit. So, Father, tune our hearts and our minds to your purposes once again. Help us to stay refreshed committed to those things with an even greater zeal and boldness that we discover that are the marks of a disciple and the marks of your church. Lord, we pray that as we do that, um, just help us to think about the Lord's Prayer and your intent as we pray it together. Would you pray with me now? Our Father... Amen. All right. Well, if you have your Bibles with you, we are going to be looking uh, as we go through Luke, uh, Luke chapter 6. And as we go there, I I also want to um, just read a scripture fast forwarding to 19. You don't have to go there. But it's what we just sang about, and it actually is the reason why we celebrate Palm Sunday it, um, it, it, it harkens back to that moment when Jesus is uh, getting ready to fulfill his ultimate destiny, and that is to die on the cross in order to be buried three days and to come alive on that third day as a representative of the new humanity. Leading up to that, it says after he commissioned his disciples to get a donkey— Uh, that he rode into town, and as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road as he was drawing near already on the way down the Mount of Olives. And if you wanted to read along, it's in 1936 and following. So we get this picture, and in it are all of these disciples, multitudes of disciples on the roadside cheering him on, And began to rejoice and praise God with loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. Stuff we've been talking about. Saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And as we read these words, we know that this doesn't fall in a vacuum. But rather, there's an audience apart from the disciples that is taking issue with everything that Jesus is doing. And they're a big part of the story that we're going through in Luke 6 and on into uh, Holy Week as Luke describes it later on. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Now, this is several episodes beyond what we're reading today in Luke 6. But we already discovered in Luke 6, verse 11, that the, 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 the scribes and the Pharisees who have been stalking Jesus have basically said, we are extremely angry with what you are doing and we are committed to killing you, okay? Okay. So this is pretty high-stakes stuff. And Jesus is feeling the, the, the tension and the hostility from these guys. Yeah, he's got a job to do. And like so many of us, it would be nice to practice our Christianity in a totally tranquil and non-dramatic and non-stressful way, wouldn't it? But the reality is Christianity by design is intended to function within these kind of environments because it really is the answer to these issues. And as we're coming out of the pandemic season, I hope that you guys are asking like myself, what are some fresh answers to an old faith? And perhaps your faith had gone kind of stale And God's using this this season to, to shake it up a little bit and to cause you to refocus. And if that's happened, that's been our prayer, that he is taking our pain and our stress and our uncertainty and our frustration, and he's allowing it to be drawn into his purposes. And I think when that happens, much of that stuff goes away in the way that the world is trying to create it. And it's replaced with a greater joy, and a greater sense of purpose. So let's just go on, into um, our passage from Luke chapter six. So uh, now we're just looking at um, a pivot from the hostility of the Pharisees and the scribes and their murderous intent, which they've declared at this point. And Rich and I were talking about this and. He said, you know, really, this should have been the beginning of a chapter because it's such a pivotal moment. So here's what Jesus does. Now, during those days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and he spent the night in prayer with God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose 12 of them whom he had also named apostles. Let's stop right there for a second. Okay, So can you think of any Old Testament story where a guy went up on a mountain and he was with God all night and all day for 24 hours? Know anybody, know that story? Have you heard of that story? Can anybody just tell me? Moses, A plus, all of you, okay? Moses went up on the mountain to receive the word for the community from God and when he came back down, he gave that word, didn't he? And he said, We have come up out of Egypt. We have no law. We have no nothing to order our lives around. We have no rules. And if you don't have any kind of structure, you're just gonna have chaos. And so this, this, this moment was so critical to their continuation as a people that were called for a special purpose. And so he gave the law. And as he gave the law, they began to process who they were in Egypt and that identity as slaves and who they are now as a free people, but called to be responsible in that freedom for God and for their community. And if we don't have shared values, then what happens? Everyone kind of makes up their own rules, don't they, based on what they think is important. You know, in Judges, anybody reading through Judges right now in your, in your Bible uh, reading daily, I've had people tell me, I can't, get, I can't wait to get past Judges because it's just so awful. And you know why it's so awful? Because it says twice in those days... There was no king, and everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Can you imagine living in a moment where everybody's just doing what they feel like doing? Everybody does what's right in their own eyes? Can you imagine how insane that would be? Oh, I forgot. We're living in that moment, aren't we? Exactly. And that is why you need to be here. Or if you're online, you need to continue to stay tuned to the things of God because that is the only place we can go to avoid the chaos from taking over. And I, I know that a lot of our souls have been in chaos from what we've gone through. And I believe the Holy Spirit has said, yeah, if you stay committed to the things of this world, it will create chaos. But if you clarify this defining moment and you stay committed to the things of God, you will find in the midst of the storm a peace. You'll find amidst of the chaos a sense of purpose and provision and protection of God through God's sovereignty. Moses actually... Helped to establish all of these things for people that really just didn't know. But they do know they did know this. They had been through chaos, they had been through ordeals, they had been through struggles, and they needed to know the way forward. And I I think that as Jesus is looking at the people that have been drawn to his teachings and seeing all of these disciples. It's a parallel moment because in some ways people are just doing what's right in their own eyes because they don't really have good leadership. And and just think about it. In, in those days there was a king, but that king's name was Herod and he didn't care. So not a lot different than the judges. Jesus Goes up to the mountain. That was a timely pause, by the way, so you can think about what next. Well, the next thing that he does is he just spends a lot of time processing through prayer the road ahead. And the people that are going to be part of that road. And what their role is. And there will be static as well. Uh, so when you think about what's going on during that time of prayer, he's talking to the father about the possibilities, the prospects, and the dangers. And the father reveals to him that out there, down, down on, the, on, the, uh, on the level plane, is sort of like the playground. All these disciples have sort of been rallying around you informally. And you guys remember the playground from school? My favorite time of school. I was so disappointed when I got older and we didn't have, you know, playground time. But I'm still trying to recapture it. Um, but when you, when you look at that, in, invariably, you know, we'd play games and stuff. And there'd be teams that would be informal and things like that. But just imagine going down and saying, okay, we're going to create a team And this is going to be a serious team, and it involves the appropriate players. And he just looks at the crowd of disciples, and he says, you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you. And he names off 12 of them. And then he makes them the primary focus of of his teachings. And so for not quite three years at this point, he is just instructing them, book, chapter and verse, line by line, but then applying it in a variety of contexts in ways they've never seen the word applied before and just giving them a sense that there are a lot of people out there telling you how to be religious, but there's really only one true voice that is capable of pulling it together in a way that will get us somewhere. And it's a pretty exciting moment for the 12 because they're chosen as kind of like the dream team. But then you're like, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's some things going on here that don't make any sense. First of all, Jesus prayed all night. It's the only time in Scripture where we find Jesus praying all night, so it's a crucial moment. We do know that in Luke, Jesus prays during his baptism. He prays whenever uh, the crowds start to get excited about him in chapter 5. He prays here. He prays on the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, A few other significant moments that it says he prayed about, he prayed to the Lord at this time. And he's really praying now. The third power habit of Jesus, by the way. Going up on the mountain, retreating from the noise, getting close to God. He comes down, and who does he choose? Well, we got some fishermen. That's awesome. But then we also have some zealots. This is kind of not making any sense, because those two don't really get along very well. And then <laughs> tax collector types, Be. Uh, start to start to become part of the entourage i I remember preaching on this a while back and i made some notes about it and i just wanted to kind of highlight what uh what the conflict is here so we have fishermen they don't like tax collectors because obviously they're taking too much of their income we have zealots that the fishermen think are idiots because the kingdom doesn't come through force and They're just on a fool's errand. We have tax collectors who don't like the fishermen because they make a lot of money and fishermen stink and they don't really want to associate with uh, lower class riffraff. And then we have the zealots who, when they look at the tax collectors, well... There's some issues here because chances are a zealot might have killed a tax collector or two or a family member because they're turncoats against the, the, the their countrymen by lining with Rome and lining their pockets with um, uh, basically Jewish money. And as, as this thing unfolds, you just see the zealots and the fishermen and the tax collectors all in severe tension with each other. And you're thinking, how how are they going to get aligned in purpose with that kind of social makeup? I honestly think that's the point. I think it's critical that you have such a diverse array of characters because there's only one thing, or should I say one person that can align people together at a meeting place that's higher than our own specific interest. Because let's, let's, let's be truthful, we kind of are drawn to our own kind, people that are of our tribe or of our interest, of our vocation. It's easier to be in that like attracts like space, but trying to have a dinner conversation with somebody that you hate. How is that going to happen? But Jesus isn't offering anything that we've ever seen before. He's offering a meeting place that's going to actually be the, the reset of all of our humanity. Humanity 2, 2.0. Um, it, is, it is the new Adam, the second Adam. Paul even goes on to write in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, (laughs) male nor female, but all are a new humanity in Christ. It's like all of these categories of how we define ourselves in opposition to other people no longer have primary importance. but Rather, the primary thing now is who we are together as followers of Jesus. And Luke will describe how their hearts begin to change. And they become one. But the only reason and the only way that they ever become one is they put Jesus first. It's the only way that we as a church will ever be one. And... I'll be honest about that, too. We've been pretty divided in in my experience here. And I think this is a moment to be unified. But I'm not going to go there right now. I just want us to focus not on the past, but on the possibilities of the road ahead. And Luke is doing a masterful job taking us there. So Jesus is praying and trusting. And God is giving him the thoughts and the words that he needs and he comes down the mountain and he chooses his team and they go from being disciples to apostles. Can anybody tell me what the difference between a disciple and an apostle is? Some of you are like, yeah, I can, but you know what, I'm not going to do it here. (laughs) So that's okay. Uh, and you guys online, if you f- want to feel free, type in the comment thing on YouTube. We'd love that too. The difference is the disciples are people that are certainly uh, called to follow Jesus for sure. Um, but an apostle is a person that literally is described as one sent. There's a Hebrew word which is, I got to take a drink of water for this one. And it's not going to be fair because I'm going to ask you to say it as well. It's shaliyah. Can you say that? Shaliyah. Okay. Doesn't sound very flattering, does it? But Hebrew doesn't sound flattering, so we'll leave it at that. It means that if I am an ambassador sent by Jesus, when you see me, everything about me is supposed to embody what you would see in him if you saw him. So the words that I say would actually be words that would be true and representative of his words and his intent. The behavior that you see me behaving in would be representative of what you would imagine him behaving in various situations, how he would respond to things. And I don't know, I had a tree fall on my property uh, from that incredible wind and I did I thought a word that I can't say in church it's just a part of how God's redeeming me but it was there but it's not a word that Jesus would say I didn't say it but I have because I'm learning and I'm hoping that when people see me, they see him. And our, our our discipleship is a process of taking personal inventory of places that God wants us to unlearn habits. I mean, the habit that I had of thinking that word, I inherited from my dad because every time I saw him See, his version of the tree falling, he said this word, and so it is like I'm programmed to say that word. But as we follow Jesus, we're getting sort of reprogrammed to think new thoughts and to behave in new ways that are different. And if I'm an apostle especially, what people see in me should be an expression through my own personality of exactly what they would see in Jesus. Because when people look at you, they're asking the question, who is the example that you are following that makes you behave that way? And Jesus is the primary exemplar. Luke carefully maps that out for you and I, so that the ones who are sent, the apostles, the sheliach you could say that to somebody, I guess, but um, technically, uh, there's only 12 called to be apostles with a capital A, um, but there are Lowercase a, which we won't get into that right now. Apostles who are sent, just people like us. But these capital letter A apostles are the foundation of the people of God. 12 of them. Now, let's just stop for a minute. Can you think of a place in the Old Testament where there are 12 people that are the foundation, well, 12-ish, kind of, where they're the foundation Of the people of God. The 12 tribes, right? 12 tribes of Israel, represented by a patriarch that is uh, responsible for being one of the 12 primary representatives of who the people of God are. But here's the thing Jesus is having to reset all of that by coming down from the mountain and giving a new set of instructions which we're going to look at next week. And as he does that, he's saying, this is the way the people of God are called to live. This is how people will know you because these rules that I'm giving you, these ways of life are going to define how you live in this world. And when people see you, they will know that you're my disciples. And Jesus, it's not an accident that Jesus goes up on the mountain, spends all that time with God, comes down from the mountain, calls 12 primary people to be responsible for the development of this new new category of God's people. It's pretty dramatic stuff because it isn't what anybody thought was going to happen when the Messiah showed up. When they're on the side of the road praising him, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace from heaven and blessing be upon us. And as we look at that moment, they have a lot of ideas about what it means to be the people of God, and a lot of ideas about what they expect the Messiah is going to do. And they're sort of tracking with him because he's doing a lot of things that kind of sound like Moses, and he's obeying the law, but he's also breaking a lot of traditions that aren't really the law, that are the hedge around the law that we talked about last week. He's sending some confusing signals. Let's just be truthful. And then as, as we're just taking... This very hard, real look at his life and your life and mine, they enter into Holy Week. And this is the most confusing moment of all. Because now Jesus is being arrested by the very people that decided that they were going to put a hit on him. And they know where it's going. And it doesn't make any sense. Well, that's a little bit of a future snapshot of what is yet to come. And Friday we'll talk about that in greater detail. But for our purposes right now, Jesus is taking people that are just a diverse set of human beings that for the most part hate each other and calling them to live a new life under his authority and his lordship. What is the difference between what I just said about them and what I believe God is challenging you and I to reconsider? Who is the authoritative voice in your life? And I know some of you, the authoritative voice has not been the things of God. It's not been church. Yeah, you've maybe participated, engaged, maybe even downloaded some. But you spend most of your time listening to the media. And it becomes the shaping influence on what you think about the future, what you think about Possibilities and problems and dangers, what you think about in terms of the limitations or the, or the things that make life so bad. All those categories are Jesus' categories. When you think of the news, Luke makes it very clear. The most important news is the good news in an environment where this kind of bad news is happening in his day as well. And some of us have made the shift and said, you know what, I'm gonna make the authoritative voice in my life less that and more of him, you know, the good shepherd who watches over his sheep, who pray, who's prayed for us, the one who is sovereign and, called us to live under the care of his kingdom. The one who transfers us out of the kingdom of darkness and its dominion into a kingdom of light that is, that is surrounded by God and his angels and everything that Christ has accomplished on the cross. It is a space that is unseen, but it is very real. And it will give you peace that passes all understanding. And the way into that space is to say, I declare that Jesus and Jesus alone is my Lord and my Savior. And it's just silly to say, and I believe in him. No, I give him allegiance, my allegiance. That's different than saying, yeah, I believe there's a God, even though there's a lot of atheists out there saying there's not. I believe in Jesus. Anybody can say that. But it's in the day-to-day Day in and day out, trusting him in all of these signals that are so mixed for our daily bread, for his kingdom to come, for his strength in the midst of suffering and adversity, for him to actually work things together for good through adversity. It's just a whole different mindset. And the disciples were tuning into it, and now Jesus says... As he's going to start the sermon, it tells us he's looking at the 12 and speaking to the 12, mostly the whole time. He's just looking at them. And everybody else is sort of on the periphery, hearing what he's saying to them. And that's kind of how the sermon unfolds that we're going to look at here, not today. I'm just helping to set it up for you guys. And you may be saying, so what? I, I think already there have been a lot of takeaways in, in what, we've, what we've shared. And perhaps your takeaway needs to be simply, yeah, I've got to listen to that authoritative voice of Jesus more and more. And the misleading voice of the media less and less. And some, some of you I know have even fasted from some aspects of that. Like someone told me yesterday they were fasting from Twitter. And I'm like, praise the Lord. Um, but invariably, if we do not listen to the authoritative voice of Jesus over everything else, we're going to be in trouble. The second thing is we need to expect big things from God, because I know one of the problems with our faith is we just, we get excited about it, we get all ginned up about it, and then we get, well, we get kind of bored, and then we're like, you you ask people sometimes why they don't come to church? Well, I just got busy doing other things, and I I get that that's a thing. I want to read off the names of the 12 here. Because you start off with Peter, and then there, of course, Simon, who's named Peter, which means, by the way, Rocky. It's a nickname. It's a nickname. Peter, is it? it's a nickname. It means Rocky. And think of Rocky, you know. Think of the song. I'm not going to sing it, but think of the song. And the guy, you know, going up the steps at the uh, building in Philadelphia. That Rocky. I mean, this guy... Is going to be grounded in the things of the Lord, but it's going to be a struggle getting there. And so there's Rocky and his brother Andrew and James and John and Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas and James and Alphaeus and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, son of James, and he's like, Yeah, I'm not that Judas. And then there's Judas scary. I mean, could you imagine? He's like, ah, oh, this guy, this guy over here, he's given my name a bad name. Because uh, Judas is actually not a bad name. It is now, unfortunately. But there is one guy who is called to be on the team, and he's like, I'm not really a team player. And why God did that is part of the great mystery. And... We know that this guy actually is instrumental in Jesus' um, ruination before God really lays his hand out and says, there's more. And I think sometimes we get bored. These guys never really got bored because they were constantly upgrading their game we're going to we're gonna actually have a message series in 9 where it talks about some of these guys upgrading their game and shifting gears a little bit. But for you and I, we get bored because we're not really paying attention to what's going on. But we don't really pay attention if we don't really have that filter to see what's going on. And that's why we're doing this is because if we do it right, you won't get bored. There's something called the Goldilocks rule. You know, we've been studying habits, and one of the books that I've read is by James Clear, and it's called Atomic Habits. And in it, he talks about how we sort of get excited about something like, you know, like this, and we did it, and then <clears throat> and then life gets kind of mundane, and we get bored, and we slip back into old habits, and we're like, yeah, I, I, I feel bad that I'm not strong in my faith anymore. The Goldilocks rule states that humans experience peak motivation when working on tasks that are right on the edge of their current abilities. Not too hard, not too easy, just right. You guys know it, right? Just right. And what does that look like? If you graph it out, it means this. You have boredom, which we all struggle with, and I've given boring sermons and I've given sermons that um, I think were, might, might have been failures. But I've also had sermons that were the Goldilocks sermons as well. And this is one of them. I don't know if it is or not, but I hope it is. Um, and and, and as, you, as you get to that space, it's like it is, it is dialed in. It is just right. And I'm really in tune because it's challenging just enough that it's moving me forward. But if, we don't, if we're not challenged, we don't move forward if we don't have a view of our faith that says it is expanding in my life and expanding in the lives of people around me, and you're like, well, how can that happen? But God may be saying, well, it's supposed to happen. It's the design. It's why Jesus went from 1 to 12 to 72 to 500 To how many billion people on the planet right now would say, I'm with Jesus. God has this sense that what is baked into you and I from the world is gonna become less and less. And what is being reintegrated into your life and mine as we live in his kingdom and are part of his family becomes more and more defined. And I think that there really isn't any place for boredom in what we do, unless we're just missing it. And the Goldilocks rule basically says, if you're keeping your eyes on Jesus, and you're aware of what he's doing in your life, and you're staying tuned to him through the five habits, you're gonna stay in that sweet spot. But let's just go to the third slide on that point real quickly, and then I'll, I'll wrap it up. As habits become routine... They become less interesting and less satisfying. We get bored. Anyone can work hard when they feel motivated. It's the ability to keep going when work isn't exciting that makes the difference. And then his third observation, professionals stick to the schedule, that is to the plan. Amateurs just respond to whatever life is telling you. That's my translation of what he says. And the plan is God's redemptive purpose, to call us into a new way of life that is centered on the way of life of Jesus. That's the schedule. That's the plan. That's the hope. That's the timeline. But a lot of us have said, I believe in Jesus, but I'm going to leave this building, and for the next six days, I'm not really going to give him much thought, and then I'm just going to let life happen, and I hope I make it back next Sunday. Yeah, you'll get bored with that version of the faith for sure. But if you're asking God questions like, God, what are you doing in my life? What are you doing in the lives of my family? What are you doing in the lives of people that I care about? And you're praying about them and you're asking and you're trusting and you are believing that God is more than able. Things happen. You know, I'll just, I'll just wind it down with this, this finer point. When I heard the tree fall, I'm like, that is not on my schedule. That is not on my agenda. I really don't want to do that. When I went and looked at it, I'm like, oh, man, it's a huge maple, and it's all busted up. And then I thought, I'm just not into this. Well, I got my chains sharpened and got my tractor gassed up, and I went out and I did it. And and the more I, the more I got into it, the more I'm like, well, this is kind of interesting and it's kind of fun and uh, it was very gratifying. And by the time I cut the stump off at the bottom and I hauled it off and cleaned it up, I'm like, hey, that wasn't so bad. That was actually kind of good. But I was committed. And you see, when you're committed to something, it doesn't get boring because you stay committed to something. You make the, the internal decision that this is important, that I value this, and this is going to define my life. And maybe some of you have said, when I wake up every morning, I invite the Lord into my life and the Holy Spirit in a fresh way. And I expect that however this day unfolds, I'm going to see him. That's commitment. And when I go through adversity and trouble, I say, you know what, God is larger than this. I have a bigger view of this problem than just the problem. That's commitment. And it just fuels itself. Over and over and over. But you got to do it every day. And you got to remind yourself, I am committed to this. I am committed to Jesus. And my view of my life, my circumstances, is larger than what those things are. So I'm not going to let them stress me out or feed my fear. If I have to move into them, I'm committed to move into them with the strength of Jesus in whom i I can do all things as he enables. There's so much about the word that feels that commitment. And so for the next two and a half, almost three years, Luke says these 12 just basically spend most of their time watching and listening and learning. We don't really see them doing a whole lot other than just paying careful attention and asking questions. But when Acts, book of Acts, you know, not the Acts from the tree thing, you know, we've moved on. When the Acts of the Apostles is written by Luke, he's saying, yeah, they paid attention to Jesus, and now guess what? Their adventure is on, and they're doing the things of Jesus, So I'll just ask a question. Have you been paying attention to the things of Jesus? And if you have, have you felt his call to follow him? And if you have, are you staying true to that calling by declaring allegiance every day and inviting him into your day and then expecting him to live through your life every day? And if you have... Are you looking around at other people that you can be praying for who are in need of a Savior? In need of deliverance from the forces of chaos? In need of replacing their fear with a spirit of power and of love and of sound mind? So there's a lot to do. And maybe we just need a little guidance on what it is that we need to do. And hopefully you've had some takeaways in that manner. I just don't want to leave this room without asking the question for each of you. Are you a follower of Jesus? Have you turned away from those other voices and made the declaration, I'm going to follow him and him only? Have you asked him to become your Lord and your savior, because he won't be until you ask him. And then he will gladly invite you into his his kingdom, his family, into his care. And I just hope there's not a single person here or even online who leaves this gathering today that hasn't made that step, and we wanna help you with that if you need to make it. Let's close. Lord Jesus, we just wanna surrender what we've heard and shared today to you. Our hearts, our minds, and our community, our alignment, our unity, all of this, Lord, is not possible without you. Just come into every heart today Help us to see who you are as our Savior and as our Shepherd. I lift our friends here today up to you and pray that you would be at work in their lives with with your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name.
2: and stand with us.
3: like for you guys if you if you picked one up at the table right behind the worship center uh, to take out your cups and peel them back which you've gotten pretty good at I can only imagine some of you may be newbies to it so if somebody doesn't do it quite right just give grace and that really is why we take this is God makes us into a new people by calling us, first of all, to a meal that says we have this in common. And the meal reminds us of our need for forgiveness in order to be a part of the community. To repent that is to turn away from things that don't fit the community and then to become like the Lord through the uniqueness of how God has made us. And when we We eat of the bread and we drink of the cup. We not only remember him, but we embody him. And it's just a reminder that we are called to be the Shaliyah when we leave here. And this enables us to be exactly that. Let's take and eat.
1: Praise Jesus, yeah. Uh, Some of you are getting good enough to these where you might feel comfortable wearing white again here. And, uh, but hey, if you get something on your shirt, that's a story to tell, you know, what it means. We're going to sing about what it means. Thank you for coming here and hearing about what it means, what he accomplished and why we do this. So as we focused on these things today, let's kind of funnel that all into worship as we sing together.
0: a hungry spirit. Forgive when sinned against. Though we both see through our face, we fix our eyes on.
1: are all we need. Thank you for providing all we need in Christ, whose grace is sufficient for us. That's what Your Word says, and so that's what we're banking on. You're a God who does not stutter. You're a God who speaks. Help us to meet You in Your Word when we open it. Draw us into Your Word and draw us into Christ, and then draw us out into the world that we might obey Him and find great, great joy in this, as Your Word promises. We will. So thank you for Your marvelous and wonderful. Help us to see his face face in the gospel all the more clear. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's for your wonderful name we pray. Amen. All right, we'll see you soon. Uh, Four o'clock today again, uh, prayer walk out here uh, with Matt Cutler and the youth. Friday, six o'clock here, Good Friday service. And uh, we'll see you there. We'll see you soon. Sunday's coming.